I'm still not sure how we managed it, to be honest. Typically, so in 2019, that last week before Christmas, let's say we shipped 3,000 boxes. Well, in 2020, you know, we were shipping, that was a slow day. Welcome to Shopify Masters, the weekly podcast brought to you by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shuang Esther Shen, and this week we are chatting with Mark Murrell, the founder and CEO of Get Maine Lobster, the direct-to-consumer purveyor of fresh seafoods sent straight to your door. In this episode, we get to learn how Mark and his team are able to ship lobsters and keep them alive in the mail, how they experiment with paid ads and content marketing, and how they multiply their business size, all the while facing logistical challenges. Before our show, I wanted to share some exciting news with you. This Thursday, we are launching a brand new six-part mini-series featuring Shopify's merchant-in-residence, David Gaylord, the founder of Bushbomb, the makers of skincare for everywhere. This special show will be the first time that we are diving deep into all aspects of a single business. David will not only share strategies that brought success, but also failures that almost costed him the business. He digs deep into financial planning, product development, and how they grew from a $400 investment into a multi-million dollar business. This mini-series will be delivered to you on Thursdays for the next six weeks, and if you'd like to watch the Bush Bomb mini-series, good news, we also launched a YouTube channel for Shopify Masters, so you can find the link in the description. Looking forward to seeing you there. Now let's virtually teleport to Maine. Many of us associate great lobsters with Maine, but did you know that without traveling, you can enjoy fresh gems of the sea thanks to Get Maine Lobster? Mark Murrell is the founder who's been working with fisher folks to bring a taste of Maine to kitchens across America. And he's been doing so for the past decade. It all began when Mark was just helping out a friend. I was not living in Maine at the time. I grew up here, but I was actually living in Chicago. And I was going to my favorite uh, seafood market in Bath, Maine. And uh, my friend owned it. And at the time, I was a marketing consultant with a focus on e-commerce and mobile. And uh, so he told me he wanted to sell lobster online. And I wanted to make sure that was a good idea for him. So I did a little bit of diligence, uh, some research, discovered that it was a great idea. There was plenty of demand, people searching for lobster. And at the time, back in 2009, there was not a lot of competition. It was really just two or three that were doing a really good job, then a bunch of smaller instances that you know, simply existed, probably didn't do much volume. Um, I did share with him that uh, running a online retail business is much different than your fish market and gave him the list of things he would want to consider. And because you have a great location, people stop in and buy fish and lobster. That's not the case when it comes to the internet. (laughs) And you need to try to sell them something that RAOV is $190, right? I got to convince a stranger without seeing my face to spend $190. So a lot goes into that. And uh, so he was too scared to move forward. And right then and there, I said, well, uh, I'm going to do it. 
and you can fulfill my orders. And that's how it came to be. Um, I had acquired a bunch of domains while I was doing research, thinking that, wow, this is a great opportunity. So late 2009, we, we launched. So to your point, it is tough to convince a stranger to give you over $100 and expect a live lobster. So for that initial year, how did you start to build that social proof and trust so people uh, will believe that a live lobster is going to come to their door? The most important thing I told myself is that I don't know anything about what the customer wants with this particular service and product. And so living in Chicago, I um, had some friends at Groupon and said, hey, I got lobster and I can deliver it to any doorstep in the USA. You want to do something? So we were the first lobster company on Groupon. And that was my testing because this was bootstrapped, right? I didn't go out and get investors. I just put my own money in. And uh, I let Groupon do all the heavy lifting. And then I chose to listen to what the customer uh, wanted. I designed a couple packs, you know, because I've had lobster dinners before. And I have a degree in creative writing. So I'm pretty good at telling a story. So I just put the two together. Uh, partner with people like Groupon and Gilt uh, for the first few years and really just listened and iterated and uh, fixed problems as they came up and tried to be proactive in communication. And Because receiving lobster at your house is daunting. How did it get here? What do I do with it now? Because it's different, right? It might be the only food that arrives alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of another right now. <laughs> So yes, to that point, how did you go about figuring out the shipping part? Um, And yeah, like that's something that I think all of us want to know. Shipping's been happening for quite a while. The number one thing is no lobster is equal, right? So you can come to Maine and you can get what's called a soft shell lobster, um, not for a good price today because prices are high, but typically in the summer you could buy a lobster off the wharf walking up for like, say, five, six dollars, right? And But that lobster is not strong enough to make it to Los Angeles. So we buy a Primo lobster, which has a harder shell, stronger, and spry, right? So uh, soft shell lobsters are very, very weak. And once you take them out of the water, they're probably going to die within, you know, 18 hours. So The first thing is selection. You select the strongest of the catch. Next is they engineered a box that is slotted. So you put the lobster tail down, claws up, right? And that keeps them from moving around and getting shook because you're handing the box over to FedEx or UPS. You have no idea what they're going to do to the box. Prior to going in the box, we reduced their core body temperature. So we put them in a lobster tank that's even colder than the main ocean. This gets them in a, you know, docile, dormant, almost hibernation state. And then we pack them with gel packs and uh, a moisture pad so they can have a little bit of seawater on the journey. Uh, But most importantly, a strong lobster is very resilient and has been known to live outside of the ocean for anywhere from two to three days. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Did you do some test runs and like how long before you were confident uh, to ship out these lobsters? Luckily for me, I was 
I've always been partnered with somebody that's done it before. So the fish market, the only reason he wanted to get into the online game was because people were calling him and he was putting lobster in a box and shipping it with success. So he knew that if I want the lobster to survive, I got to pick the most spry, the most primo. Um, so he had, he had that experience already. And then when we grew out of his location, now we do it ourselves. We have our own facility. Um, and it's, it's like nothing. It's, uh, it's like, um, you know, putting a sandwich into a, into a plastic bag for lunch. You know, it's very easy for us. It's very impressive. Um, I did wanted to ask, so you gained this initial uh, group of customers with partnerships with Groupon. How do you then transfer them over to your own site and turn them into return customers? We started with email. So we had a CRM and we started emailing them offers directly, you know, saying, hey, we, you know, we just we caught too much lobster and we need to ship you some. Here's a good deal. That was our first stage. Then we started doing Facebook and Google. Uh, in the beginning, not a lot of success, you know, really high marketing cost, you know, not a huge return. So then we just got better at it. And, um, and then finally, we went to Shopify Plus, which had all the bells and whistles that would not only help us uh, be attractive, but also convert and uh, increase you know, cart rate and all that jazz. Um, so, I mean, where we were from the beginning to today is like night and day as it relates to uh, the platform as a whole. Mm. For those initial iterations, spending social ads on Facebook or optimizing your search with Google, what kind of changes did you make to tweak to understand and get better performance throughout the years? You know, it's audience and creative, right? So obviously the headline and the hook have to be great. There's got to be some kind of offer unless you're, you know, a well-established brand, but, uh, you know, creative in the audience. So we really focused heavily on audience. So um, our first really successful audience was displaced New Englanders. So we looked at people who were raised back east or spent college back east and now were living far away on the West Coast or in the Midwest, you know, far enough away so that lobster wasn't readily available. Um, and then we just really worked hard in our creative, started investing in video. That really helped a lot. Um, and then, you know, great headlines and hooks. And then get them over. And we worked really hard on getting them to opt in to our list because we knew that our product type might not be um, one of those, uh, I forget what you call it, but impulse buys, right? This is a well thought out, hey, I'm going to feed four for $180. You know, I can't, I can't make this decision right now, (laughs) you know? so if we capture their email, then we can nurture them along and we can tell them, hey, this is who we are. We've served X amount of people. Here's what Susan said from North Dakota. She loves us, you know, really focused on getting a lot of, um, you know, customer generated content so that we could share that with people. Uh, Facebook was a great tool because we just, we had really high ratings. I mean, we bend over backwards for our customers 
And the word of mouth, you know, really helped out a lot, but also we would have really great reviews. I love the fact that you initially went after that nostalgic crowd. And I'm sure like through their interactions and their experience, they'll like tell more of their friends and et cetera. So that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about uh, expanding beyond live lobsters, because I know that you guys now have frozen meals like mac and cheese and uh, lobster rolls, and you even have steaks. So um, what was that process like adding in additional product offerings? Yeah, it started uh, with our second move and where we were having our orders fulfilled from a location that was doing value-add products. So one of the first things we added was lobster tails, frozen, lobster bisque, chowder, crab cakes, things like that. And those really took off. Um, and then we started working with a commissary saying, we want to build our own products. We got a couple people that are, you know, really good, you know, chefs have great recipes. Let's make our own mac and cheese. It'll be awesome. Uh, and then lobster rolls really started to take off. I'm like, well, we could ship a lobster roll kit, you know? So uh, it just kind of happened naturally, right? People will ask for it and, uh, or we, uh, you know, bring something to them and say, hey, we're really proud of this. For example, we have a Cajun shrimp bowl, which is my mom's recipe. And I just converted that into a ready to heat meal. And it's, it's amazing. And, uh, but uh, yeah, it's just listening and, and observing what's trending in the market and then trying to make it so that everything has to be unforgettable once it hits the mouth. So if it passes that test, then it, it makes it, right? And we've made mistakes where some products didn't hit the mark and then we pull them. Mm. And currently, how many customers are getting the live blasters? And how much of the proportion are actually just getting the ready-made meals? So the biggest thing are lobster rolls and lobster tails. So really the business, only about 25% is live lobster. And of that 25%, 75% arrives on a Friday, which is interesting, right? But lobster tails and lobster rolls, by far, highest velocity skew. Uh, on our store. Mm -hmm. um, that's really great. But I think that's a testament to how well you've uh, evolved and adapted and expanded your product offering because um, you've done so much since the live lobster. So that's very cool to know. So when you are initially building out your store to the state that it is in, what were some of the exercises that you do regularly to make sure that when someone hits your website, it is a really good shopping experience. And also they go through the journey. They might add a bit more items and things like that sort. First, you know, really the the story of, you know, hey, this is coming from Maine. Um, delivered to your doorstep. And we promise it'll be unforgettable. And from a mechanic standpoint, right, you want super easy, no friction checkout experience. So. Uh, and we're constantly, you know, tweaking on that um, so that we get better and better and better and faster and faster and faster. We leverage uh, bold apps um, to do upsells. So, and we're very thoughtful with the uh, add-ons that we offer people. And, uh, and then we're looking into rebuy uh, as an app and hearing really good things about that. Uh, seems to have a little bit more functionality. So we're actually uh, likely going to move to rebuy from uh, Bold Upsell. 
but uh, really it's constantly, you know, monthly tests on site speed, checkout experience. We used to use Hotjar so that we could follow experiences and see where people were falling off or where they had trouble. We're moving a little bit of space here between a button and a photo and little things like that, just CRO stuff um, that we're constantly looking and looking at. We are actually going to be redesigning our site. Um, this design, we wanted to get to Shopify before the holidays in 2018, I believe. And so I said, just have it look what it looks like now, and then we'll worry about the design later. So along the way, we've added some of those uh, elements that make people feel good, like how many people we've served, testimonials are key, things like that. And um, really, we drive traffic to those collections that uh, get the highest conversion rate. And it's rare we send somebody to the homepage. Uh, but obviously, if through search, somebody might land on the homepage. Mm -hmm. So I guess you're sending people to product pages that probably align more towards whatever they've searched or things that they've browsed. Absolutely. Or we'll tell a story through video or a photo of, you know, hey, here's a special promotion that a bunch of people love in order every day. We think you will too. And go here and see that. So that page needs to be optimized. And we've added to that landing page so that people see uh, what the experience is like, how we pack it, what people are saying about it, what's exactly in it, ship everything overnight, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. I do want to talk about investing in content and video because I think it's one of those things you invest and the result is not super immediate versus something like paid. You can put in more dollars into Facebook and there's somewhat of an immediate result. So how do you reconcile this balance when you're looking at your budget to invest in social spend versus content and video? Yeah, well, there's a shift now, right? So since the iOS 14 update, you know, content is, is more and more important. Um, so telling the story in a very short period of time is an art. And then what you're showing is the science, right? But we know that when people look at something, uh, we can track those actions and then iterate it to get the optimal action that we're looking to get, right? So a video that's 15 seconds could start with, you know, Susie from North Dakota, you know, opening her box and then cooking it and then feeding it to her family. And then we have an A-B test of a video where Susie's just eating with her family and then smiling in the background while she's cleaning a dish, and we discover that, oh, the video number two actually uh, outperformed video number one by 50%. So we're going to do that one, you know. Um, and we did video number one because we thought, oh, they really need to see the unboxing experience. And they probably do, right? Some audience, some demos really want to see that. Let's say the younger crowd really wants to see that. But our demos, uh, 55 plus typically. So... They're like, hey, I've gotten stuff in a box before and you know, I just want to know the net experience because I'm having family over and I want to do something awesome, mm -hmm. you know. 
That's very cool. A lot of times we do have these hypotheses and you know, our perspective might not be the overall general population's perspective or specific demographics perspective. So very cool. Um, I did wanted to talk about uh, COVID and just the whole of, you know, 2020 and also now, especially for you guys, because you do promise this overnight shipping, uh, freshness, live lobsters. How did COVID impact you in terms of logistics um, and shipping in that sort? Yeah, so it was tough because uh, it really, it wasn't gradual. It happened very, very fast. Um, and we, you know, we put some resources behind it to make it go fast. Um, you know, UPS and FedEx really struggled. I mean, think about it. Um, in December, November, December, they bring in like thousands of temporary employees for peak, right? And then April, 2020, you have higher than peak numbers and less people. (laughs) So what they accomplished was amazing. A lot of stuff was late. Right. So on our end, we, we know there's a chance it's going to be late. We know that because we ship everything priority overnight, we're going to be in the front of the bus. However, let's pack these so good that they're fine if they arrive a day late. You know, there were instances where it was more than a day late. Right. And that hurts. Uh, and we just have to make it right. You know, and uh, those are the cost of doing business decisions that, you know, everyone should make. Um, if your promise is I'm going to deliver something unforgettable to you, uh, quote, um, in positive unforgettable, uh, then I need to deliver on that. So it was tough, you know, and we had to buy machinery to make us faster because, you know, we were shipping 600% more boxes than normal. So I had to get a forklift. I had to get a reefer truck. I had to do all these things so that we could keep up. I had to get a second facility so I can increase physical capacity because we grew out of our location. A lot of logistics. And you mentioned for 2020's holiday season, it was a historic period. Um, Tell us a bit about how uh, the increase in sales was generated and how did you manage that holiday season? I'm still not sure how we managed it, to be honest. Typically, so in 2019, That last week before Christmas, let's say we shipped 3,000 boxes. Well, in 2020, you know, we were shipping, that was a slow day. So it was pretty wild. Uh, I think we shipped more boxes in December than we did in all of 2019. So, and an interesting thing that occurred was there's, you know, the supply chain is still quite um, clunky. And we run it, we ran out of uh, the corrugate box. Right. We had the styrofoam box. We didn't have the outside corrugate and we had to stop working a couple of times, wait for it to come in, put those boxes together and then finish orders. So it was pretty wild. But um, how we drove traffic was, you know, search Google ads, Bing. Um, we advertised on Pinterest. We did display podcasts, Facebook. Facebook's our, you know, still our godfather. Um that's where most of our resources go and just had really good promos, ran some great campaigns in the month of December. Uh, we run a campaign every year called random acts of kindness where, uh, I give somebody every single day for the month, uh, a free gift, you know, something of value. 
a really nice gift. Um, yeah, that always does really well and gets attention. We got a lot of great PR. Uh, we were included in uh, a number of, you know, gift guides and, and things like that. And we added SMS in late November. And that was a really amazing tool, uh, attentive and fully integrates with Shopify. So it's super cool. We know that we're not inundating people that have already purchased. And uh, SMS is very powerful, very powerful for us. Yeah. Uh, let's dig into that a little bit. So when someone do give you your phone number, are there different streams you crafted, different conversations? And how do you nurture that relationship that ultimately you know leads to an order? It's super cool. I mean, so you can build out nurturing sequences regardless of device, you know, whether it be email or SMS or even on, even on web now. And so, and we can hyper segment, right? So I know that if somebody is not opening and they just wanted to get a coupon, right? Cause you use a coupon to get them to give you your phone number, then, um, <clears throat> then they're one and done. Right. Um, or they got the coupon, didn't find value for themselves. Right. And then they either opt out or just ignore. And so then we want to make sure that we're always sending to people that are engaged. For example, our email list is probably 400,000 people, but we don't email 400,000 people, right? We try to only email those that are engaged. And then every now and then we have these segments of people that not engaged, but has potential, right? Or not engaged, no potential. And, and that's okay, right? We're, we're not, it's expensive, and, uh, uh, or it's daunting, right? <laughs> One or the other. So we got two things going against us. We're expensive and it's scary. <laughs> so it's a certain type of person, right? Adventurous. That's really going to go after it. So we have that in mind when we're designing any sort of nurturing sequence to bring people along. Mm-hmm. And what about Pinterest? Cause I, that's, not something I would think a lobster company would want to advertise on. Pinterest is weird. You know, mm-hmm. some days we get, you know, six X ROAS and then other days we would get like less than one. Um, but we stay there and trying to figure it out because I know that Pinterest, our boards get a lot of views. I think we're getting well over a hundred thousand views a month on our boards. So um, why not advertise? And I think there's potential there. Will it be a Facebook for us? Unlikely, but I know that Pinterest is pretty powerful for others. Um, but uh, it's it's too sporadic for us to do any big investment. But uh, we do like to to keep some investment there. Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. Um, and I wanted to ask about the relationships that you have to manage because it seems like. Uh, There's people who have to go out and fish for you. Uh, There's the partners that you might uh, have for the facilities. Tell us a bit about the different uh, groups that you have to partner with and how you manage all those different uh, relationships. Yeah, we have, um, I would call a lobster men, um, a vendor, and then somebody that sells me lobster tails and lobster meat. That's another vendor. So we have multiple relationships. Um, we had one relationship in 2020 where I was like, listen, just fill my freezer uh, and fill my tanks and I'm going to sell it. 
and we did fulfillment for them as well. So together, you know, we were, you know, quite busy and just kept the freezer full and kept the tank full and just, and just went. Um, and then as we got used to it, you know, in, uh, normal came back, um, we have other vendors that we use as well. So, um, managing those relationships is hard. The lobster industry is, um, a wild one. And, uh, for example, we ran out of lobster meat for about two months this year, uh, which was really, really difficult. And we couldn't find any main. We, we would buy whatever we can get. A lot of it was Canadian, which, is it still good quality, right? Maine, uh, most sustainable lobster fishery in the world. But every now and then, you know, I have to buy Canadian. Um, lobster tails, certain sizes that are really popular weren't available. Um, fishermen weren't going out because the weather wasn't great uh, or a variety of reasons. So it's interesting when you're dealing with the, this organic being that um, – you know, resides on the ocean floor and you have independent lobstermen who are bringing it in. And then you have uh, wholesalers and processors that are converting it into products like lobster tails and lobster meat. Um, and then I take that product and sell it, or then I convert it again. So super interesting, but we have some lobstermen that we buy direct because we're right on the wharf. And then we have larger wholesalers that we buy from as well who, um, uh, have more access, you know, than we do. So, but it's a, that's an art and science too, right? Cause the, you know, the price of lobster at our wharf is different than it is at a wharf, you know, say 30 miles North. Gotcha. I did also want to circle back a bit about your experience. Cause you did say you were in Chicago, you were in marketing, completely different field. You didn't have any sh- fishing experience or trading experience. What was it about this idea that made you want to leave that life behind and start this business? Hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm curious and like challenges and I have done this before, you know, I've launched other businesses and, um, you know, 80, 20 rule, right. 80% failed, 20% were successful. So it's just kind of in my DNA and I saw an opportunity and I wanted to see it through because I grew up in Maine and I'm here now. Uh, I love the idea of, of sharing uh, a little bit of Maine with people. Yeah. It was a challenge. Right. And I wanted to see what I could do with it uh, in reality, you know. So that's um, that's really it. That's a great question. I actually haven't been asked that before. Really? And I never really thought of why. And I was like, I just I did it right on the fly. You know, he said no. I said yes. And just did it, you know, just like that super quick. It is quite a long, uh, pivot, right? Cause y- you kind of, you, you had to move. It's now over a decade and now your life I'm assuming looks completely different from, uh, the Chicago days. It does. It looks very different, right? I was downtown in a 55th floor of a high rise and urban life to, you know, now I live in, in uh, rural Maine near Portland, which is a really cool city. Um, but yeah, life's a lot different. Uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. Have zero regrets. 
Um, Maine's a beautiful state. Um, lobster is an icon. And I get the opportunity to be a part of uh, very important celebrations uh, for people all over the country. And last year, the uncertainty was the biggest thing, right? So, and it was scary. Nobody knew what was going on. So if I could be a little bit of comfort, even if it's for two hours, that was awesome. You know, we were over, our life was totally different, you know, than a lot of people. And uh, we were nonstop, you know, for well over a year. And um, now we're used to the volume, right? Plan to be actually doing more than last year. So now we get to think about, all right, how do we up-level, you know, what we've been doing? We had a year where we just had to survive and serve. Now, how are we going to up-level the brand and the experience that we deliver? So that's what we're really focused on right now is that part of it. And that's why we're redesigning the site, looking at packaging, looking at all those things. Um, Because we brought in, I think, like thirty-five to 40,000 new customers last year. So that's amazing. Um, let's do it again this year and let's up-level the experience for them. So then they just cannot resist sharing, you know, what they got for an experience with people that they care about, you know, and that's just going to help us grow. I, I do want wonder what your thought process like was during COVID, because I think your model is very COVID proof in a way, because people are not going to markets or farmers markets, grocery stores. So this is completely COVID proof to get a lobster shipped to your door. But on the flip side of it is now everybody's just worried about the necessities and they might not think about celebratory meals. So how did you feel in those early months? Like it could go either way, uh, how your sales were trending. Yeah. So fun story. I have a financial advisor that acts like our CFO and, you know, we have a a meeting every other week. And she says, Hey, we have to have, you know, the talk. Um, we're going to, we might have to trim some fat. And I was like, we should definitely go through that process, but I have a feeling we're not going to have to do anything. Um, and I had ran some experiments because I thought that, uh, box velocity was creeping up a little higher than normal for March. So I ran a couple uh, experiments and I was right. And I said, let's go through this process. Um, however, I think we're going to have the opposite effect. And so once those experiments proved true, then I told our agency, I go, there's no limit to what you can spend. Wow. As long as the CAC isn't here or less, do whatever you want. And then it just, you know, it exploded. So. Yeah, that's very bold. I think that echoes a little bit of you uh, having this idea and like going through with it as well. Like you're, you're really betting on yourself and also um, believing in this model. So yeah, that's very, all those are very true points. And one of the things that I would say to the team, because April was probably the most difficult month for us, even though December was busier, because uh, we had limited people because of COVID restrictions. Um, but we, we did April, typically one of our slowest months. And I think we did quadruple what we normally do in December. <laughs> so it was wild. But I just would tell everybody and myself, like things work out for us. There's magic behind us. It just always works out. 
and and it always has. So I think we're just we're either blessed or we have like a guardian angel or I get some magic in my back pocket, you know, something. But um, I got an amazing team that is just right along with me and, and ready to rock and roll. Amazing. Um, I did want to ask one last thing is um, I guess like the reaction of your colleagues, friends and family back in the day when you said, you know, I am going to leave and I'm going to start like selling lives lobsters online. Like what was their reaction? Did people try to talk you out of it? I don't think anybody did because you know, I'd had a couple other hustles. So they were kind of like, Oh, here goes Mark again, uh, kind of thing. And I actually lived in Chicago for four years while running the business and running my consulting company. I finally closed my consulting company after two years. Um, and so there was a transition period there, but then it got to the point and it was sad, right? I, and I still go to Chicago. Um, well, not last year, but I still went to Chicago every month. I kept my apartment, you know, and I got rid of it a couple of years ago, but I kept it for a while um, because, the, you know, I consider that my second home. And um, I still have a lot of people out there. And um, I don't know. Everybody's like, that's Mark, you know, this, he's just doing it again. And, um, and, and now, right, the reaction is, holy smokes, it's amazing. Just because of the exposure that we've gotten and, and um, how dramatic the growth has been and, and, and most importantly, how we handled it, you know, uh, is just, you know, a miracle, right, that we were able to do what we did in 2020. And now it's normal for us. Uh, a lot of things occurred and... Uh, learnings happened and uh, but uh, yeah it was it was very exciting and scary <laughs> awesome <laughs> well I look forward to all of uh, the future plans I know you're going to rebuild there's going to be new things that uh, you're working on are there any new products or new things that you can share with us uh, today yeah so um we're consistently coming out with new beef products. Uh, there's a beef shortage, so we try to help out and we can, we have a great partner, uh, purveyor right here that, uh, in Maine, you know, great product. Um, we're coming out with a lot of ready to heat, more ready to heat. So we're coming out with a, a lobster risotto. Uh, like I said, we have that Cajun magic, the shrimp and rice bowl and, uh, you know, a few others. So ready to heat is kind of where we're leaning into. Because eventually we want to be in the shelf of the grocery store, um, and why not test that? Test those products with the online company. So you know that's a big push. Uh, fish, we have some of the best fish in, access to some of the best fish in the world, so we're constantly uh, pushing that as well. Uh, and then finally, um, we have some amazing chef partnerships. Uh, one of which is with Chef Dina Marino in which we design offers together and then, you know, share them with anybody that wants them. So the first one was a, a Chipino for uh, Mother's Day that was just incredible. And we're coming out with uh, a lobster bake, uh, oysters with um, salsa verde butter, uh, 
and a couple, we're going to come out with a pizza kit and all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, we want to always keep designing uh, cool experiences that people can have at home. Amazing. Those all sound very delicious. And yeah, yeah, hopefully looking forward for listeners to find you guys uh, eventually even on their grocery store aisles as well. So yes, absolutely. Ready to serve. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Shopify Masters. I'm Schwang. And if you enjoy Mark's story of building Get Main Lobster, please leave us a review on your listening platform so the show can be discovered by others. Until next time on Shopify Masters. Shopify Masters.